Welcome to the Faithful 31 Moms podcast. I'm your host, Mallory Allen. Whether you find yourself in the joys or the messes of mom life, we want to encourage you to remain faithful as you join us every Wednesday in creating a community of real moms, real stories, and real truth based on the Word of God. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Faithful 31 Moms podcast. I'm your host, Mallory Allen. Today, we have a special guest interview with Melissa Lewis. Thank you for joining us, Melissa. Yeah, excited to be here. Yes. Tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your family. Well, um, I am married to Bart Lewis. We've been married for 17 years, and we have three boys. Two are Irish twins, and so they keep us busy. One started middle school this year, and my youngest two both started kindergarten. That keeps you busy for sure. Yeah. So Melissa and I met through some mutual connections, and I heard her story, and I thought it was such a powerful story, and I wanted her to come on and tell it. But after talking on the phone and meeting a few times, I began to learn more and more about her as we prepared for the podcast, and we've really just become friends. We have a lot in common, so I'm excited that she's here today. For the sake of time, because I do want her to have time to share her story, I'm not going to do the 10 rapid-fire questions today. I think we're going to do three or four, but just they're fun, so we wanted to include some of that. So, Melissa, do you know what your Enneagram number is? I am a four. Uh, which is the, I think it's the individualist and like the artist. That makes sense. Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, to a T, it fits me perfectly. Yeah. All right. Perfect. How about your favorite like color palette? Like what you like to wear or the colors that you're most attracted to? I'm definitely a color girl. I can't do just like neutrals or I hardly ever wear black. Um unless I'm wearing my leggings and working out. But I love (laughs) blues and greens, um, colors like that. That's my favorite, too. Yeah. So you just love color. Yeah. And, like, the peacock colors. Yes, actually. I'm always attracted to that, too. Yeah. (laughs) We have a lot in common, Mm -hmm. if you can't tell out there. But now, your favorite go-to item in your closet. Right now. (laughs) Especially during all this uh, (laughs) time at home with the COVID and everything, I, my go-to every day are my joggers and my t-shirts. I just, I got to be honest. Nothing fancy. Yes, me too. Hair up in a ponytail. Mm-hmm. No makeup. All right. Now, the last one I'm going to ask is, what is your food weakness? Hands down, Mexican. I could have Mexican every night of the week. I would never <laughs> get tired of it. Tortilla soup, cheese dip, salsa, guacamole. Just give it to me. All of it. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So, as you can tell from her Enneagram number, she is creative, individualist. She's an artist. She actually does that for a living on Mm -hmm. the side. Yeah. Being a mom, being an artist, staying busy, has a huge heart for the Lord and for her family. And it's just fun to be around. You'll just, you'll just enjoy hearing her story and you'll just instantly like her because that's how I felt (laughs) when I met her. But I'm excited for her to share her story today. If you've ever walked through infertility or you are considering and praying about adoption in your family or you have already adopted um, or you know someone that's walking through this or praying about any of these things, um, this is a story for you or for you to share with someone today. So 
I'm excited to hear more about Melissa and her journey to motherhood with her three boys. So let's get started. Great. Well, so at 13, I basically um, started menopause, which is really just crazy and unheard of. Um, And as a 13-year-old kid, obviously, I did not want to – I didn't quite understand it, and I didn't want to go to the doctor about it. So it really wasn't until I was 18 that my mom forced me to go, and I was diagnosed with premature ovarian failure, which basically means I went through menopause. Um, There's no reason for it. It's not genetic. It's just – it just is. Only 1% of women have this. So – Having the doctor tell me that uh, obviously had me going through some doubts as far as like my worthiness and just all kinds of things, thoughts that I had about God, like what must he think of me and would I not be a good mom Um, just because of that. And then the doctor told me that there was just no way I would ever have kids just at 18. It's devastating. It's impossible. You're never going to have kids. Yes. Um. So at 18, I knew that, but it really did not hit home until I met my future husband. And we started, you know, we fell in love and we knew we were going to get married. Um, Within like the first week of knowing him, basically it was on our first date. We were on the border, (laughs) Mexican. (laughs) And um, early on the date, we just were, we were talking um, and I just told him, because I guess I knew, I think we both knew immediately how we felt about each other. And so I told him early on, you know, I will never be able to have kids. And of course, I was scared to death to tell him that. Uh, I remember my voice just being real shaky. But the first thing he said to me, and what just I can hear it today, is I'm not with you for what you can give me. I'm with you for you. And I think there was a kind of a relief at that moment, mm-hmm. uh, a support that just took some pressure off. And so from there, um, we dated and we got married. We didn't immediately start trying to have kids, obviously, um, but we knew it was something we both wanted. And um, it was when he worked at a brand new church. He was the student pastor at a brand new church, mm-hmm. and I was doing – um, interior decorating, painting cabinets and faux finishing walls and stuff like that. And so I was basically self-employed. And we were about 24. We started talking at my age, 24 is when we got married. And a couple of years later, we started talking about what we we're going to do for kids. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, because I was on hormones. Um, still wanted to try. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so... We knew that we were going to have to probably seek out some specialized help for that. And so at 26 um, is when I went to go see my first fertility specialist. Mm -hmm. And in meeting with them and talking about it with them, the only option we had was doing in vitro and we would have to have donor eggs. That wasn't necessarily a hard part for me. It was at first to get used to the fact that it wasn't biologically mine, but it would be biologically Bart's. And so we had to kind of come to grasp with that fact. But I knew I wanted to have kids. I knew desperately I wanted to be pregnant and have that experience. And so in my eyes and in both of our eyes at the time, that was really our only option. Right. Um, 
I wouldn't say we spent a lot of time in prayer about it because realistically, there was just no other way to go. And to have babies, that was just what we needed to do. So um, that was around 2005, and we'd been married about two years at that point. And I don't think it was coincidence that at that time I was attending a Bible study at my church. And uh, the lady who led it, her name was Lane Ann, we were doing a study on God's ways versus man's ways. And um, <laughs> looking back now, it's just so funny how God works because the <laughs> the main scripture that she used at the time for that study was when you walk your own way, that leads to death. And when you walk in the Lord's way, that leads to life. Mm-hmm. And, and that's Isaiah yes. 53? Yes. Yes. And um, she knew, because we had been meeting for a while, so she knew my struggle with infertility. She knew that we wanted to have a baby. And so at one point during the study, I told her, because I was excited, that, you know, Bart and I had met with a fertility specialist, and we were going to start trying to have babies. And she wasn't mean. She wasn't rude. But where I expected her to be jumping up and down, excited, her first reaction was, great, do you have a piece about that? And I just looked at her strangely because I thought, well, I mean, I don't know. And she's, what do you mean? And she said, do you know that you know that you know that that's the way you're supposed to go? And I responded immediately and said, well, I know that I know that I know that I want to have a baby. <laughs> and so yeah. I don't know how else to do that. And so she challenged me and said, you know, as we're right now, as we're studying God's ways, why don't you go home and just pray for a promise? You know, God is... God cares about the details and he has a plan for you and for your family. And so, you know, pray for a promise. And I think that's the first time anybody had even told me or I'd realized that you could actually just ask God, you know, for for a promise and for him to reveal like his plan for you. So I went home immediately and I just devoured scriptures. I didn't have a place to start. There was no starting point. Um, We were obviously studying something in Bible study at the time, so I had scriptures in mind, but it was immediate that God was telling me through scriptures that infertility, or I'm sorry, that in vitro was not the way we were supposed to go. Wow, what a wise woman that she poured into you like that. And it took, I mean, that wasn't that night that I discovered that. I don't want to make it sound like it was immediate. It was like, you know, weeks. Right. But uh, the scriptures that God just kept showing me just revealed so much that I was walking my own way and not his way. Yes. And I told. That's powerful. Yes. And I remember telling Bart it was a hard conversation because we both were so ready and we just thought we had the answer. And I said, you know, I just I really think God does not want us to pursue in vitro fertilization and we should stop and we should just wait. And um my husband's not a, a weight kind of guy. <laughs> he, you know, I do know him. Yeah. That is true. <laughs> if he knows somebody's having a problem, he wants to fix it. And he doesn't want to see somebody, especially somebody he loves, hurt. And so he will do what he can do to make it happen. So it took him, you know, it took faith for him and God and faith in me as well to trust me that we were supposed to wait. Um, looking back at the time. I can see that now. At the time, I don't really, I didn't consider that. I just saw the struggle. But now I can see how much faith he had to have in me and my relationship with God to trust 
When I've heard him tell the story as well as you, he always says that he's quick to give Melissa credit, like that he was like, I'm not ready to wait. Why can't we just do this? And then further on in the adoption, he was the same way. But I think that he realizes on the other side of it that the Lord was really giving you a clear word and he trusted that and trusted the Lord. But he, it's sweet when he tells that story about you, how much faith that you had and how he really just looked up to you for that. So that's cool. It's really special because, as you know, he, he was a pastor and, you know, you would think obviously that God would just reveal to him what the plan is. But he totally trusted me. And um, I just think it's special that God allowed that to happen in our relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we were waiting and, you know, just having conversations about that. Still did not know what God's plan was, only that we were supposed to wait. And eventually God led me to my promise, which was Isaiah 55, 8 through 13. Um, And so in my Bible, I have have this chapter just underlined and highlighted and notes (laughs) all beside it because I refer to this verse Still, it wasn't just a promise at one time. It's something he uses in my life continuously. But um, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Then it goes on and it says, For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. And it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. Amen. That is your story. Yeah. And I just, I knew immediately that that was my miracle that he was promising me. And I knew also, it's funny, I knew that he meant for this to be a sign uh, for other people to see that God still does miracles. Um, And so in my mind still, because this was early on, what my hope was that the miracle was that God was going to make me pregnant, right? Because it was impossible for me to be pregnant and God was going to give me this miracle and I was going to be pregnant and we were supposed to just wait. And, um, And so again, there was just more waiting. I had my promise now, but what are we supposed to do other than just wait on God? So... Again, still a struggle with with Bart and myself because even though it was hard and I was so ready, I was still knew we were supposed to wait. Right. Bart was still trusting me, mm-hmm. but he, I guess in his heart he felt like I think maybe he just knew that we were there was more to it, and there were many a conversations that we had sitting around our patio table outside at night or kitchen table and. You know, he would just tell me and challenge me, you know, Melissa, I know that God promised you a miracle and you're praying for a miracle, but your version of a miracle may not be God's version of a miracle. And I don't, that could not have summed up Isaiah 55 more, you know, right? my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, my ways are higher than your ways. Ah. So infuriatingly, he but challenged me. But it's so me. hard to be patient. It's good. it's like easy to look back on like a long journey and like you're summarizing it that like you were, you know, just totally trusting the Lord and like it flew by. But this was a long waiting Years. process for you. Years. Yes. yes. I mean, 
I, yeah, it was definitely, it was a long period of time and where it looked like we were doing nothing. I mean, to everyone on the outside, it looked like we were doing nothing. But I just felt God saying, just wait. And um, and so that's just what we did. Um, Bart would bring up adoption. Uh, he had some friends when he was younger who they adopted, and he has always just um, felt like maybe that was something he would do, I guess. But I was not having it. Um, and I, I I feel bad somewhat saying that now, but I, it's just natural. It's human. I know that. But I knew that if I were to consider adoption, that that meant I was giving up ever being pregnant. And I still had not gotten to that point yet. And I think Bart could see that in me, that struggle that I was actually having with God and as someone who was a Christian and a pastor's wife, I didn't want to admit that I was having a struggle with God about that. Um, at the time, I actually had just started going to see a Christian counselor about this as well. And he challenged me on it, too, about how I how if I was upset or angry with God about this. And at first I denied it. And then it just took some soul searching to really admit to myself that, yeah, I'm, I'm sad. I think maybe God just doesn't think I'm good enough or I'm not special. You know, all of these things um, that enter your mind. And um, I knew that if I were to say, yes, let's adopt, that I was going to have to lay down that desire to be pregnant. And I just wasn't there yet. I couldn't do it. So we waited and waited and waited. <laughs> and um, I remember just going to church sometimes, especially on Mother's Day. Um, Mother's Day was the hardest at church. This was not a time either when infertility was talked about as much. Now I feel like it, the church does a really good job of talking about infertility and adoption, and especially on Mother's Day. I think they do a really good job of that. But at the time, it wasn't something they talked about. Right. Everybody stand up if yes, you're a mother. And exactly. You're like, oh, you and know. you get a special flower or special something. And right. I wanted to be one of the ones standing up, and I knew I never would be. So I, after a few years of just crying on Mother's Day, Bart finally told me, you know, you can stay home. You don't have to go to church today. It's okay. Um, so he was – I'm, I am overwhelmed with how understanding and supportive he was during that time, because I know it was hard on him too, but for him to see the pain that I would have going through it um, and just giving me that was special. Um, and then there was the guilt and the tension I had when it, people would make their fun baby announcements, their pregnancy announcements, and have baby showers. And, you know, I would help plan them or I would attend them. Um, even when my sister announced she was pregnant with my niece, I remember just like my, I felt like my heart just dropped because I wanted to be able to do that so bad. And I think I was realizing I wouldn't be able to do that. And I was happy, so happy for my friends and my family. And at the same time, so sad that I would never get that. And that was, that was really hard because you can really beat yourself up about that and just not understand it either. Right. Um, but I think it's completely normal to feel that tension. So, um, and I think a lot of times, like, when you hear a story like this, you think, oh, the Lord gave her a promise. He's going to give her a baby through this way, through pregnancy. And people, you said, even, like, tried to speak that over you, yes. which they shouldn't have. That's another story for another day. But yes. 
the Lord didn't bring you your miracle that way, right? right? right. He brought it to you totally different. So tell them how that started because it's such a it's such a neat story. So, you know, it's it's funny. I remember. Okay, one thing to to mention was that during this time I kept a journal, and I didn't start a journal until I'd had that Bible study that I've referred to earlier. And Lane Ann challenged me actually to to write my prayers and and the promises and stuff. So I still have every single journal, and they're marked with like water spots for my tears, or just you know just scribble marks from where I just wrote quickly out my prayers or my thoughts to God. Um, and there were so many times where I felt God asking me, am I not enough for you? And that was so hard because I could never answer him. I remember him asking me and I just denied it or I would avoid it. Um, but I really felt in my heart like God was saying to me, am I not enough for you? If you've never had a baby, would I not be enough for you? And around 2006 or 2007, um, he brought Psalm 37, uh, thir- Psalm 37, 3 through 7 to my mind. And it's a popular scripture, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. But he brought it to me and I just devoured that scripture. I broke it up. I researched the meaning. I don't know why, but it just stuck out to me. And you know, it's important to look at the scriptures before and after that where he says, trust in the Lord and do good. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do it. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And I took all of that and I just, it encouraged me. It was like a a sweet reminder that God gave me that if you delight in me, if I am your delight, and you trust me and rest in me and commit your way to me, I'll do it. I gave you a promise and I'll do it. Yeah. And that's when God just told me, you know, I just knew God never fails. He will never fail. And what he says will happen. So around that time is when, again, he asked me that same question. And in my heart, something just kind of clicked. And I felt myself say, okay, yes, you're enough. And if I never have a baby, you love me, and that's enough. And That was a huge moment. That was a huge moment where I felt like I just finally surrendered and laid down my desire to be pregnant. Um, so around that same time, some friends of ours um, – they knew our our infertility struggle, and they they hadn't brought up adoption to us or anything like that. Um, but this family in our church, they had decided they were going to adopt internationally um, a little girl from China. They had already had two girls that were in Bart's student ministry, so they were you know teenagers, but they just felt led to adopt a baby girl. And I remembered she called me. While I was uh, working somewhere, and she just said, "Hey, we're we just decided we were going to adopt. I just wanted to let you know." And at the time, I thought, "Oh, well, thanks for letting me know. That's nice." And you know, she didn't say anything else. It was just I think that she just wanted to, maybe she just felt led to invite us along with them on that journey. And um, so they adopted their little girl from China, and then I think it was just a couple years later. They had us over for dinner, and they told us that that same orphanage called them 
and asked if they would be interested in adopting a seven-year-old boy from China. Um, and the the father, he's a, a Christian performer, and I think that they had that connection. And so because the child was somewhat of a performer over there, and they just felt like it would be a good fit. And they had us over, and they were telling us this, and they told us the struggle because they weren't planning on adopting another kid. Right. And this was an older boy, and they had they already had two girls, and then they adopted Sophie. And so they just they told us that you know they weren't sure, but then they felt like yes, that was something they were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Then they invited us over again when the orphanage had sent them a video of this boy, and I remember. Uh, Renee showing us a video on her laptop of the boy, and I think he was singing or something. I can't remember what it was. And I just remember the look on her face and, like, the, the tears in her eyes as she was watching this video and telling us about him. And And I just looked, and I was in awe at the fact that she had never met this boy. Um, at first, she didn't even know if they wanted to adopt him. Mm-hmm. But she's showing me this video, and already she's loving him like a mom. And it just blew me away. It's really cool. It was it was so amazing to witness that. Um, and later on, when they brought him home from the airport, we were there with another group. And I remember, you know, it was kind of overwhelming for them, obviously, because there was a huge group there. And the little boy didn't know anybody other than his his parents. And everybody was wanting to talk to him. And so all of a sudden you could see just on his face he was overwhelmed and he was looking for Clay. And I remember he was just looking around and all of a sudden he saw him and he said, Dad. And he just reached us up his arms and Clay just grabbed him and held him. And he's like, I'm here. And he held him and he was fine. And again, I thought just how amazing that was. And that was the first time where I had seen the love through adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, how they were his parents, like already. Like yes. He called him dad yeah. that quickly. It yeah. didn't have to be biological. It didn't have to be blood related. That that love was just there. Right. Um, so after that, some time had passed. And I remember driving to work one morning and a song came on and this song is called After the Last Tear Falls by Andrew Peterson. And we were, you know, Clay and Renee had shared with us a little bit about the orphanage after they had gotten the little boy and they came back and they were sharing with us um, a video that Stephen Curtis Chapman sent them to about some of the orphanages there and how the ba- there's so many babies and not enough people to, to take care of them. And, you know, some of them have to be like literally strapped to their beds because there's mm. just not enough people. The song came on, and I had that image in my head, and I also had that love that I saw from Clay and Renee and their new and their new son. And when in the song, one of the lines is, "After the last child starves and the last girl walks the boulevard, there is love," and it's just about God, you know, capturing our tears in His hands, and and that there's there's love after all of this, and something just switched in me and it was like a light bulb went off in my heart and God said you know being a mom is not about you Melissa being a mom is about loving a child or a baby that needs to be loved and you showing them my love and how much I love them that's what being a mom is absolutely (laughs) that's a huge moment it was it was huge and I just remember feeling just broken in a good way and just driving to work 
just sobbing because it was just like I could see something clearly now that I hadn't seen before. So I went home that night after work and I just I remember walking in the kitchen. Bart was at the sink and I just said, I think we're supposed to adopt. And he (laughs) just broke down because he knew. I think all this time, I think he knew. And he told me that he had had a group of special friends of his praying this whole time. Wow. And I didn't know that part. Yeah. Yeah. He never told me during the fact, obviously, but when I told him that that night, he said he had a group of, of men praying. And so from there, that was around like 2007, I guess. Mm-hmm. Adoption's expensive. My husband's still a student pastor <laughs> at a baby church plant. I'm still self-employed. Um, the, the housing recession had just started to also happen, which was the market that I worked in. So I wasn't getting as many jobs. Um, so financially, it was tight. And we could not see how God was going to make this happen. Now we know what his plan is. His plan is for us to adopt. But how in the world are we going to do it? There's just no way. I mean, it looked still impossible. Yeah. Um, so after discussing um, international versus domestic, we somebody told us about embryo adoption. And so we looked that up and we considered that as well. And for some reason, I still just didn't have a piece about that either. And so... We waited and we just waited. (laughs) And then I remember driving to work again one day. God talks to me a lot while I'm driving to work. And I work with my my business partner and one of my best friends, Jamie. And every morning before work, we had this um, devotional. It's called The Daily Light. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's just I um, I think it's Ruth Graham Lotz who is author and all it is is it's a morning and evening devotional and it's nothing but scriptures it's like basically a topic and it's all just scriptures and I went to work and I was crying because I just did not see how we were going to be able to adopt we couldn't afford it I mean it was so impossible and I just cried and I was like why does my why does God plans for us have to be so hard why do we have to wait for so long when everyone around me seemed to be pregnant and oh yes I just I just couldn't understand it. And that day she said, let's just pray. Let's let's read our devotional and, you know, we'll, we'll work and we'll be OK. And so in that devotional that day, there was a scripture. And as soon as she read it out loud, we just looked at each other and we just knew <laughs> that it was meant for me because it said it was from Luke 145, where Elizabeth is talking to Mary. And she said, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Wow. And that is for you. Yeah, we just looked at each other like that. God is so crazy. He's so good to just always speak to you when you need it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we continued to work. And that day I was driving home after work and I got a phone call from a friend of ours who knew our story. And she had a friend at her work whose daughter was pregnant and this friend was already raising her other daughter's child. And she knew, and she was an older woman, and she knew she couldn't raise this next this next one. And so my friend said, well, I have some friends who they, they can't get pregnant and they've been wanting to adopt. Would you want to talk to them? And she's telling me this as I'm driving home on the interstate, and I'm just in shock, like, this can't be real. This is too good to be true. I got home and talked to Bart, and I told him about the phone call, and I was like, this just can't be real. It's 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 crazy. It's too good to be true. And we talked to this lady, and then we called an attorney friend of ours who was a, 
a family law attorney. And he said, oh, yeah, I do this kind of thing all the time. You can you can do a private adoption where you don't even have to have an agency involved. And um, it can be really fast and we can do this. So here we go. We're fixing to adopt this little baby, this little girl that's due in three months. And we're you know doing everything we can do so quickly, the home study and and all of these things. And. I knew, you know, and Bart said, we're not going to, we're not going to make a room. We're not going to decorate a room because you just never know. And so in my mind, I reasoned this because Bart needed a home office. So I said, so I had this paint color picked out for this room that I also thought would be a good nursery color. And I told Bart, I'm going to go ahead and paint it because if it doesn't work out, we'll just use it for your office. And he's like, no, don't do it. But I did it anyway. And the whole time I'm painting this room for my little girl and I knew it. I was just trying to be, you know, find a way around it. But the whole time it was for this little girl. And then I guess it was in, I can't remember what month it was, but I went home and I went back to the bedroom and Bart was sitting on the bed and I immediately looked at him and knew something was wrong. And... I, you know, went in there and I sat beside him. I was like, what's wrong? And he had just gotten off the phone with our attorney. And our attorney had just spoken with this girl's mom. And this girl had packed up and moved away and changed her mind and was going to keep the baby. Mm-hmm. So we lost the little girl. And immediately all the stories that everybody told me about adoption, because as soon as we said we were going to adopt, everybody starts telling us their stories, even stories of people who they knew from somebody else of how their stories that when they adopted and they they fell through and then they had to wait a whole other year and blah, 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 blah. So all those stories came to my mind. I was like, oh, God, you're going to make us wait again, you know, another year. Yes. Um, and then I'm grieving this little girl that <laughs> I'd already had a name picked out for. I'd already had the nursery that I wanted in mind. Um, and Bart just went d- down the hall and he just closed the door and we just kept the door closed and we didn't walk by it. We didn't look at it. And a week later, somebody else called us. Somebody else had heard, heard our story and somebody else had knew what was going on. And he said, Hey, I know somebody who goes to our church. And his daughter's a teenager, and she's pregnant, and she wants to give the baby um, to a family through adoption. And right now they're going through social services or or whatever, but they said they want to meet y'all. And that very next night we met with them, and she said she knew immediately that she was supposed to give the baby to us. Wow. And she was due in three months as well. And it was a little boy, which my husband and— he about fell out of the chair because he was so excited <laughs> for a boy. Um, and because they were working with social services, I guess the social worker was taking her to her doctor's appointments. Or I'm not really sure, but her, her mom was there, um, obviously, since she was a minor. And she said, you know, if we do go through you, though, you're going to have to take her to all of her doctor's appointments and, and this and that. And I just was like, uh, yes, please. I would love to do that. Yeah. So... From then on, I got to take her to the doctor's appointments, and now we're planning for a little boy that's due um, end of July, 1st of August, and um, we get a phone call one day, uh, July 
7th, that morning, I was supposed to take her to another doctor's visit, and she called to ask me how close I was to pick her up. And she said, I think I'm going into labor, but I'm not sure. <laughs> so we went to the doctor, and sure enough, he said, okay, you need to drive her on to the hospital. And I called Bart, and I said, oh, my gosh, <laughs> we're having a baby today. <laughs> and we didn't have anything ready. We didn't have the clothes washed. We didn't have the car seat installed because, you know, it, this was a few weeks early. Right. And so, yeah, we, so we spent all day um, in the hospital waiting Um I actually still have, you know, in the iPhone, they have the voice memo app. And because my family wasn't able to be there, I recorded the the heartbeat on the monitor. And I still have that on my phone. And I sent it out to all my family. And I was like, here's our baby. And um, and so at um, 8.01 p.m. on July 7th, Brennan was born. And I was the first one to hold him. Bart was able to cut the cord. We gave him his first bottle in the nursery. And then, of course, that night they had to kick us out and we had to go home. <laughs> and it that was, was probably hard. Oh, it was so hard to leave him there. Um, but we were there the first, you know, first thing in the next morning. And this is another example of just how amazing God is because part of my grieving process of not ever being pregnant was also the experience of having a baby in the hospital because I would drive by the hospital that my sister had my nieces in all the time and just remember what that was like, how special that was for us all to be there and hold our nieces. And and I wanted that and I knew I would never be able to have that. And so it was really cool because that morning the nurses came to me and Bart and said, you know, we have an extra room. Would y'all like to have your own room with Brennan and your family can come and visit? And we were just blown away. And so that whole day, our family came and brought the balloons and the flowers. Our pastor came and prayed with us. And God just basically lavished these things on us that I just thought I would never get to have. Mm, that's so neat. It was just another example of, of how God um, gives us that abundance of things that we don't even know how to ask for. Yeah. So, so that was our first baby that mm-hmm. we got through adoption. And... A year later, we had the audacity to move away to Iowa and take, uh, it was my husband's parents' first grandchild. Um, and sure they weren't happy They were that. not happy <laughs> that we were going about 10 hours away. Um, but we moved there so that Bart could work at another church. Um, and just we felt led to go there. I was now able to stay at home with my child, which is another thing I didn't think we'd ever, I thought I would always have to work. So it was cool to now be a stay-at-home mom. Um, talk about an identity crisis for a minute there, too, because now yeah. I'm a mom after all this time and I'm yes. staying at home. Very different. Um, yeah. So, um, so yeah, we were there for about, he was about a, uh, a year. And again, I'm still just reading through these scriptures and God... Um, God put brought another scripture to mind for me where I just was reading it and I was so blown away with just how grateful I was because um, it was Psalm 128 where God says, How happy are all who follow his ways. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine flourishing within your home. And look at all those children. They sit around your table. That is the Lord's reward for those who fear him. And I was looking at that last night in my Bible and I have written on there um, the date and I had 2010 and I just had, thank you so much, God. We're sitting around the table now with Brennan in his high chair, feeding him dinner. And I was just blown away again at how God never fails. And he answers our prayers. Yes. (laughs) 
And so then um, a few months later or within that next year, I remember sitting around the table again and I just, that scripture came to my mind and it was like I knew that our family wasn't complete yet and that our table still had empty seats that were supposed to be filled. And I just had that feeling that there was another child out there waiting for us. Um, I remember that part when you were telling me your story. That's really powerful. That yeah. You were like, my table wasn't full yet. And yeah. I bet Bart was like, what? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because Brennan was like, you know, a year and a half. And yeah, it was, it was a crazy time. And at the same time, I also remember feeling guilty. Because I wanted more. And here God had already given me this miracle. And who am I to ask for another one? And I remember also, like, still, I would see pregnant women and be invited to baby showers. And I still had the same feelings of, you know, I wish you know, part of me wanted to be pregnant and have that experience. And, um, but, and I felt guilty because God gave me the miracle. So it was a struggle to know that we wanted more and there was more waiting for us. Um, and still, you know, feel grateful. Right. Um, So in 2012, we moved to Texas. Bart got a job at another church there in Houston. And um, I did not want to move to Texas because that's like just (laughs) moving to a whole other country, basically, in my mind. But I ended up falling in love with it, and we made some great friends, and I love the the city. Um, Still, though, wanting a baby and knowing that there was a baby out there that was just waiting. And I just didn't see how we were going to make it happen. The house we were in, we were renting because we had just moved there. Um, It was small. It was only a two bedroom. And, you know, we didn't, how are we going to pay for another adoption? So again, I'm dealing with the, how is this going to happen? And God just reminded me, Melissa, look at, look at what all I've done for you. Look at how I brought Brennan to you. It's not the how that you have to worry about. You focus on what I have planned for you and my ways for you, and I will provide. And so um, couple, uh, a year or so after being there, I was in a small group with a lady who she was fostering to adopt this little girl. And she was going through a ministry in Houston that worked with uh, the women that lived on the street mm-hmm. and the homeless. And through their ministry, they formed an adoption agency and um, she just started telling me more and more about it. And I really felt led to look into that ministry. And um, I looked into it. I went that they had a thing called street church on Wednesday nights where they would do church out in the street for the homeless. And I went and attended that and I met the people who ran it. And it was just really something I felt like maybe we were supposed to pursue this route. Um, and so I told Bart about it. The only hesitance, hesitancy we had through that was it was a foster-to-adopt situation. Uh, and mm-hmm. one thing that he and I both said we would never do <laughs> was foster. <laughs> never say never. Never say never. Because <laughs> foster care was – I had seen foster care and, and how, you know, sometimes people foster-to-adopt and the child gets taken back. And I've seen the roller coaster ride that that can be, and we just – we didn't want to do that. Yes, I have to. And, but something in me felt compelled to pursue this route with this ministry. And so we met with them. We decided to go ahead and go that direction. We had to go through a whole bunch of foster training um, and learning about 
caring for these kids who had to grow up on the streets and, and all of the ins and outs of that. And um, we, we submitted our book, our family book. We, we did the home study. The cost to adopt again was still $20,000 and, you know, didn't know how we we're going to do it. But God said, just go and I'll provide. And so we pursued it. And what's so cool is at the time we had this college student who was babysitting Brennan for us. And after a few times of her babysitting, we became close. And I was telling her about the agency we were going through. Well, her family has a huge heart for the homeless. And I was telling her about it. And she said, you know, we want to – I want to talk to my parents. And I'll, can I, do you mind if I tell them? And I said, no. And so she came back. We were talking. And she said, yeah, we want to help you all with this adoption because we just love the agency and this ministry. And we would love to be able to help you. And I thought, oh. That's great. I told Bars like, oh, they're going to help us. You know, like they're going to give us a hundred dollars or something right, to help, right. and they're going to pray for us. And so a week later, we went to this big event at our church that we had, and we saw her parents, and they, you know, pulled us over to the side, and they're like, yeah, you know, she said our daughter said this, and and we we can't wait to help y'all, and we're excited to be able to help, and we were, you know, just told them how thankful we were that they they were going to help. And so at this event, we couldn't bring Brennan, so their daughter was babysitting that night. Well, we got home from the event, and I'm writing a check out to our babysitter, and at the same time, she hands me a check that she had just signed her name to, and it was for $20,000. Oh, my word. And I was like, what is this? What are you doing? You can't give me a check for this. And she goes, yes. She's like, yes, I can. Um, that's my, what my parents meant when they said we were going to help, and I immediately called her parents, and I'm like, you you can't do this. And they were like, well, we can. This is a blessing for us to be able to do this for you. And we didn't want to just give you a little bit at a time because we wanted you to be able to not worry through this process. Wow. You're already going to have so much that you're processing and dealing with. We didn't want the money to, to be one of those things. And so we were just obviously blown away because here again, God is just taking care of it. Um, they taught that. They taught their daughter how to be Yes. Give generously through that. Yes. That's so neat that she got to experience that, too. It was really neat. And they purposely had her write the check for that reason so she could experience that. So they're a very good family. But, but yeah, so we um, so you have your money now. We have our money now. Our social worker with the agency called, and a mom had picked us. And she was due in three months with a little girl, she says. And... Um, so we were so excited. I told Bart in about September, we're going to have another baby. And then again, we're just waiting. Birth mom goes completely off the grid. And I just did not know to expect that or how to handle that. Um, she lived on the streets, so I don't know what I necessarily expected. But I just didn't expect for my social worker to not hear from her for like two and a half months. And at the same time, I'm growing... I. I felt like I had this baby out there. That was my baby, but another woman was taking care of this baby for me, and I didn't know where this baby was or, you know, if they were in harm's way. And I just had to pray and that God would just protect them and um, just wait and trust God through that. And we never heard from her until all of a sudden on September 20th at 12 a.m. We got a phone call from our social worker and she said, OK, birth mom's in the hospital. She's going into labor. And originally the plan was that she said she wanted us to be at the hospital and take the baby home. 
But now the social worker said, we, y'all don't need to come up here yet. Just wait a little while. We don't think you need to come up here yet. So obviously Bart and I were, you know, frantic and, and wondering why we couldn't be there. And then about six o'clock in the morning, they called and she said she's changed her mind. She had a little boy and she decided to keep him and she took him home. Mm. So here we go again. And we just uh, grieved that day. Um, I went and got back in the bed and I just wanted to lay in the bed. And fortunately, we had some friends who they wouldn't they weren't going to take no for an answer. And they just came over and brought Kentucky Fried Chicken and made me come sit on the couch and just eat Kentucky Fried Chicken and just <laughs> let me cry. Good friends. And just loved us. Yes. And... I didn't say a word, but they didn't care. They just were there. And um, so that was really hard. Um, I had already just loved this baby and felt like this baby was mine. And now this baby went home with someone else is what I felt like. And the next day, our social worker called and said, you know, birth mom called and she's struggling a little bit and, you know, because she already had a one-and-a-half-year-old that was living with her and on the streets. And now she has this newborn. So if she, if you, if she asked us, would you be willing to take this baby, like, in respite care for a couple of weeks and just help her until she feels better and gets back on her feet? Oh, man. <laughs> That's a lot to ask. It was a lot. And, you know, I talked to Bart about it, talked to our pastor's wife about it, and, you know— couple people had the idea that, well, you know what, this, he's not your responsibility anymore. You don't need to put yourself through that. But something in me just felt like, no, I think he is. I think we're supposed to help. And so um, that morning, that next morning in the Whataburger parking lot in Texas, our social worker met us with um, the baby, who we just called Little Bit because <laughs> we didn't have a name, obviously. And she gave us she gave us a baby in a baby carrier with a with a diaper bag filled with stuff, and she said, "Here you go." So now we have this little baby that was supposed to be ours, and I felt like it was ours, but I knew in reality it wasn't ours. And so my Trying heart, to think like we're we're gonna have to give him back. We're gonna yes. have to give him back because I feel like my heart would be like so attached already. Yes, it it was it was total. Did not know how to feel. Didn't know how to process all the emotions because he needed to be loved unconditionally. I mean, he was a newborn baby. Um, but I wanted to protect myself and have a wall up a little bit because I knew that he was going to go back in, in a couple weeks. Um, so within that two weeks time, um, we just took care of him. And my mom came down to visit at the end of the two weeks because he had colic and was, wasn't sleeping well. And um, she came down to help. And we had to meet with the go to the agency office to take him back to the birth mom and we were in that meeting she was late because she had missed the bus and at the time i'll be honest i was did not like her i was very mad at her <laughs> i didn't understand what kind of woman could do this and i just didn't like her and i was not being very, very patient when she was late and then she arrived and god just broke my heart for her because i met her and i knew why she was late because she had to wait around for the next bus because she didn't have any other way to get there. And God just broke my heart for her and said, you know, you." he just basically told me you need to love her too. And so we were in the meeting and the whole time I'm holding a little bit 
and she's not asking to hold him. He's fussing, and she's just talking away and telling us random stories and, you know, told us another story about the time, the night she did have brought the baby home from the hospital that he was in danger, basically. And I just thought, God, surely you don't want this baby to go back to that and be in danger. After all of this, surely he's not supposed to go back to living on the streets and, and having to deal with that. And so finally she, I gave a little bit to her to hold because we were going to have to leave. And she didn't even know how to hold him. He was so little and he was just squirming. And Bart could tell she was just nervous. And she finally said, you know, I really feel like I want y'all to adopt him, but it's my husband, her husband, the the birth father that didn't want to. And so Bart said, well, how can we help you be more comfortable? And she said, can you just take him back for a little while longer? And so we said, sure. And we both knew immediately, okay, if we're going to do this, now we're not going to look at it as babysitting. We're actually going to fight for this baby. And because um, we believed he was supposed to be ours. So we got home. My mom had packed away all the baby stuff while we were gone, so we wouldn't have to see it when we got back. And then we walked through the door with Little Bit again, and she just broke down crying because um, she had gotten attached to him already. And we decided, okay, he's going to be ours. We're going to fight for him. We're going to do what we have to do to be able to keep him. Mm-hmm. And so um, <laughs> it was like the next day or within that week. I don't remember exactly, but our women's uh, leader, uh, women's ministry leader at our church called me while I'm holding a little bit. And he's fussing and crying. And she said, listen, Melissa, I know that y'all are trying to adopt this little boy and you don't know if you're going to get to keep him or not. But let me tell you something that's going on right now. (laughs) There's a little girl in your student ministry that just found out she's pregnant. And her mom came to me um, wanting prayer because it's, um, you know, her stepdad kicked her out when he found out she was pregnant. And so they're going to schedule an abortion for the next day. And she said, you know, I asked the mom if she would just give me 24 hours before they made any plans to do anything, just give me 24 hours. And she said, I knew I had to call you. She said, I know you're holding this baby in your lap right now, but go talk to Bart and y'all pray. Would y'all want to adopt this child if they're willing to do it? And so I went in the bedroom and talked to Bart and I said, what do we do? Oh my gosh. And because we were fighting for true, but here's this other baby. And he said, well, Melissa, we could say no And then we could lose True and we could get no babies. And if we say yes and we continue to fight for True, we could get True and we could get two babies. (laughs) Had y'all named him and called him True at this point? No, I'm sorry. At this point, we he'd already been a little bit and we were thinking of names. Uh, But we were because now we decided we were going to try to keep him. But we didn't know if we were going to be able to. So we never picked a name. We were just thinking. So we were still calling him Little Bit. But um. We knew the possibility that we could have no babies or two babies. And we both just looked at each other and were like, how do you say no? I mean, really and truly, how do you say no to that? So we said yes. And we met with the birth mom and her mom like the next day. And again, she said she knew immediately that she wanted us to adopt her child. And she had just found out she was pre- she was newly pregnant. So at that point, I got to go with them at every single doctor's appointment. And again, we were doing this adoption privately, not through an agency. And so it was very um, much more on an intimate level. We really got to know that family well. 
And um, at one point, Bart and I got to go to the appointment where you they tell you what the sex is, <laughs> which was a new experience for us. And I was just praying for it to be a girl because <laughs> uh, at one point, little bit was supposed to be a girl, but she ended up having a boy. And so I thought, Lord, surely you're going to give me a little girl somewhere. And we go to the hospital and we have that appointment. And I remember the nurse asked the birth mom, do you want me to go ahead and tell you the gender? And the birth mom looked at me and said, well, she's the mom. You ask her. And I thought, oh, my gosh, here's this teenage girl, like so brave and so mature, you know, to 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 do that for us. And so, of course, we said yes. And she said, you're having another boy. <laughs> so um, Three boys. Three boys. And. So, so yeah, we got to go, we got to experience that at the same time as we were waiting to find out what was going to happen with Little Bit. And then um, in October, I remember sitting with Little Bit on the couch, just rocking him and thinking, Lord, what is your plan for this baby? We still hadn't heard anything. We didn't know what was going to happen. We really wanted to just know something. We were still living in the unknown. And, I, you know, I said, You're, you promised to have good plan for him, you know, and, and what is that plan? And then my phone rang and it was our social worker. And she said, you're not going to believe this, but birth dad is on his way right now into the office to sign the paperwork to go ahead and release him for adoption. And so <laughs> I just started crying because it was just, it was all too good to be true. And I thought, oh, my gosh, we've got two babies. <laughs> oh, that's overwhelming, too. Yeah. In the best way. In the best point. way. And, again, another example of just God's abundance, you know, Ephesians, th- Ephesians 3.20. Um, so in May of 2015, um, we went to the hospital for birth mom to be induced. Again, the, the nurses had everything set up for us to have our own room. And so – all of our friends and my mom was there and they all got to come and stay in the hospital with us that time. The nurses let me wear a hospital gown um, during the delivery so that they could immediately take haze and lay them on my chest. And I got to do the skin to skin, which I'd never done before. Oh, and so neat. it was just, it was amazing. It was just amazing. And so through all of that, Looking back now, especially, I can see how God just never fails. And when he promises you something, he has a way to make it happen, even when it's impossible. And those are the miracles that he promises us. And we never had to worry about money. You know, two of the adoptions were free. Two of them were private. Only one was with an agency. And he just worked it out every step of the way. It was never easy. It was it was hard and it was emotional and we were in a position where we had nothing but our trust in God, but He gave us a family and now our table is we don't have any empty chairs at our table anymore. <laughs> it's completely full. Yeah, um, we've got boys running around like crazy. I'm stepping on Legos all over the place and that hurts. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just amazing to see. That the whole time, even at the beginning when I just felt unworthy and like I wouldn't be a good mom and maybe God just didn't love me enough. And now I look back and think, wow, how much he loved me and this this plan that he had for me. And I mean, adoption love is is how God, I mean, loves us, you know. And mm-hmm. so I, I know that we've talked about that, but I mean, the most powerful thing, when I hear your story, it just 
it's just overwhelming to me how, like you said in the beginning, like you had to keep reminding yourself of it. It was a long journey and process, but like when you said, when you walk your own way and you have your own like goals and your Mm -hmm. own ideals and your own, like the way you think the plan should go, that leads to death, but his way leads to life. And like how full of life your family is. Yeah. And you've got three boys and that's just so cool how the Lord works. It, it really is. Yeah, it is. I mean, he had a plan the whole time. We just had to trust in him. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us today. I I just think your story is so moving and just so powerful of how the Lord works and how he does miracles. He still does miracles mm-hmm. and um, I thought about the verse, uh, you know, we hear it all the time, even as children, like trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean out on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And it never says, you know, you have to acknowledge him for him yeah. to show you that path. And you did. And I know that wasn't easy for you and Bart, but this is just so neat. You can look back and tell them like we chose we chose you to yes. all three of them, and we love you unconditionally because the Lord brought you yes. to us. That's just so neat. Yes. So I just want to thank you for telling us that story, and I know that that was a lot to unpack, but um, it's just important for them to hear it from start to finish because you never know, like, if you're a woman out there and you're dealing with infertility and the heartache of your body not being able to be pregnant or you're considering adoption or you've already had kids and you're considering adoption or whatever your story may be. Like I said in the beginning, you know, I really feel like Melissa's story can encourage you and find you right where you're at. And so if you want to go to faithful31moms.com and scroll down to the bottom, there's a place where you can email me directly. And if you would ever like to be put into contact with Melissa about adoption, you want to share something with her, a miracle the Lord's done in your life, or the heartache that you're experiencing through walking through infertility or the waiting and all the things, um, I know that she would love to be able to minister to you and encourage you because that's why she's sharing this. And so go to faithful31moms.com and and you can do that. And if you would, subscribe, rate, and review our podcast today. And Melissa, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. All right, y'all have a great day. Faithful 31 Moms is produced in association with Love Worth Finding Ministries, built on the profound biblical teaching of Pastor Adrian Rogers. Please visit our website, faithful31moms.com, for all interview show notes. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Faithful 31 Moms. That's faithful31moms.com.